Hello, lovely people. How are you doing? I hope you're good. Now, look, we've got some bad news. It's the last in series six. The good news, what a way to finish. I've been wanting to share Joe's story with you since I started this podcast, so I am so pleased I can now. Joe Hemmings was just 14 when he took a Saturday job at a hairdresser's salon. He had no idea this would be the start of a career which would take him further than he could ever have imagined. He now has his own business, Blogs, in Bristol, which has been voted Salon of the Year not once, but three times, and has just been given a place in the British Hairdressing Hall of Fame. I've known Joe for years now. He and his team have been cutting my hair, but as you know, when you get your hair cut, you can often talk with your hairdresser, and some of the conversations we've had have had lasting effects. When it comes to my next chapter, I've always trusted Joe and his opinions, having seen how he's growing and developing his own business. So I really wanted to share his wisdoms with you. Joe is kind, thoughtful, incredibly hardworking, and believes family is at the heart of everything. He has stayed true to his own values and has found trusting people has been the key to success. Joe's listened to advice and acted on it, and he's created a world he loves for him and his family. He believes it's never too late for any of us, and he gives some brilliant advice at the end if you're wondering if there's ever a right time. Hello and welcome to The Next Chapter by Ellie Barker. The idea behind this podcast is that as I start my next chapter from journalist to indie author, I speak with some incredible people who've already started their next chapter in the hope it might help you with your next chapter, or at the very least, you'll just enjoy the conversation. So here he is, Joe Hemmings. Joe Hemmings, welcome to The Next Chapter by Ellie Barker. I am so delighted to have you with me, so thank you. Hello, thank you. Well, Thanks for having me. Well, I'm so pleased because you know, Joe, you and I have known each other for a long time. I was trying to work out today how many years, but it's quite a few years now. And it is, yes, it is. And I have wanted, you've been so good to me and kind and listened to me about my next chapter. So this is why I've wanted to get you on the show for so long, because I can't wait to share your next chapter with my lovely listeners. So thank you, because I know you're super busy. So thank you so much. So we begin as we always do with the prologue. Now you said you had a very fortunate childhood you had lots of good family times and holidays it sort of sounds really quite idyllic yeah I think when you sort of um think about my childhood it definitely was very blessed to have what I had we didn't have much uh sort of we weren't spoiled in regards to financial sort of stuff but definitely uh, my parents were very aware of having family time mm. and probably when I was younger I would hate it you know sort of uh been sat at the dinner table as a family of four around it or going for walks on the weekend. But actually now being a dad myself, I can actually appreciate those times and how, how great they were. Yeah, I bet you can. Because you had, do you have a brother? I do, older brother. You've got an older brother. And you said your mum and dad, they worked, they worked really hard. They were hard workers as well. What did they do? Yeah, so my dad had a rope business, a rope making company, which, which his dad's business passed on to him. Mm. And that was in Bedminster in Bristol. And obviously we lived about an hour away from there at the time. Uh, my mum was she's very creative so she actually was an interior designer for quite a while and worked on show homes and um housing projects so both of them really were self-employed or had their own business so i think from a young age the work ethic was there mm. i mean my dad i'd never see my dad in the mornings when he worked in bristol and i'll see him probably at dinner time at night and that'll be it yeah and then uh, my mum 
but she was obviously left at home to look after me and my brother, but also held down a full-time full -time job, which is amazing, really. Because mm -hmm. you grew up on the outskirts of Bristol, didn't you? We did, yeah. We grew up at a place called Stonyston, a tiny little village, and uh, about 45 minutes outside of Bristol. And nothing there. There's no local shops, uh, no bus stops. There's literally a couple of playing fields and uh, quite a few houses. But I think at, at the time, looking back, we were a lot of the families that lived there at the time all had children the same age in the same schools. So it'll be a case that after school, you go and play with your mates in the fields. And literally, it'll be a case that when it gets dark, come home. So very sort of unspoiled upbringing, but also very fortunate to have what I have, really. Yeah, absolutely. And you went to school and you said you were one of those children that the report said could try harder. <laughs> I, I don't believe that of you, Joe Hemmings. I'm surprised at that because you're such a hard worker. I get, um, I get bored very easily. And I think, uh, I remember from a young age, if I wasn't interested, I, I could sit in a classroom and daydream about other things, other subjects that I was keen on. And um, I'm not academic at all in that sense. I was sort of like an average student, but the, the subjects that I was good at in the case of the arts, the creatives, the sports and the business side of things, I actually loved those subjects. Right. And I would have rather done that every day rather than English, maths and sciences. Yeah. It wasn't my strong point. No. That's interesting, isn't it? Because this comes up so many times on this podcast that, you know, some of the subjects we're forced to do at school, they're just no good for us. And yet you, you have to do everything and it can put you off. 100%. And actually, I, I remember sort of dreading my parents coming home from school reports, or school evenings, thinking, what are they going to say? But I think, uh, I think my parents understood how I was and what I was like. And yeah. I think my dad sort of saw it as, as long as he gets by with not getting in trouble, he'll be okay at school. And then he'll come out of school and he'll do his own thing. Yeah, that's amazing. And that was sort of what we... Yeah, I'd always dread the school reports or dread parents' evening. <laughs> but actually, I think it was good. And I think definitely the subjects that I, I, I enjoyed, I put everything into. And even you sort of find yourself in a history class thinking about an art project. So I think it was clear where my, my skill sets and passion was. Yeah, absolutely. You said as well that you daydreamed a lot and you did actually want to be a professional footballer. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> any young child, yeah, professional footballer movie star pop star yeah. anything you know just uh, why not it's good to young have, lad. it's good to have a good imagination not saying you needed an imagination i'm sure you're a very good footballer well i'm not a not professional put it that way <laughs> <laughs> well well I, i'm sure you played very well in those fields around that area but so so then going into your first chapter when you left school so did you because you were by this stage you were already working as a saturday boy shampooing hair yes. in a local hairdresser's that's interesting so you just did you just just get that job as a saturday job yeah so i, I never really found out the truth behind this but I met, so my mum had a, a hairdresser um all her life pretty much a bit like a bit like you and, and yourself were with me in a way mm. and i remember i was 14 and on a saturday uh when i went to the salon to get the hair done i, I enjoyed the salon it's a very good salon really busy everyone was nice there great standard of work and remember the we left there, my mum said to me, they're looking for a Saturday boy. And I didn't really take much notice of it at all. And then mum was like, oh, they, they'll pay you. Like, it's, it's, it's good money. It's eight hours on a Saturday. So on and so, so I didn't take it for ages. And I kept thinking, no, it's not for me. I don't want to do Saturday work or hairdresser. But actually, I remember my dad started a long chat with me and said, son, it's, it's great for you. You know, I was quite shy. Um, and actually, I'm still quite shy now in big situations. I'm very good one-to-one. But in, in big groups, 
I'll always be sort of on the, the outskirts looking in. And then I, I thought I'd take it. It was, it was cash in hand. It was great for Saturday work at 14. And I just loved it. From the first day I worked there, you just, um, yeah, the atmosphere, the buzz, the creativity of it. Everyone's nice. Everyone's happy. And it sort of went from there, really. I, I just fell in love with it. Mm. And where was it? Where was this shop? That was on Shandos Road in Bristol. Wow, okay. That's what I mean. So my dad would drive me in. He worked all week in Bristol. He would drive me in Saturday morning for start work at nine o'clock. Mm. And then he would pick me up at five o'clock. Right. And, mm. and, and thinking, there's no bus where I lived. So that's how they sort of did it. They thought, well, it's our choice to live here. Mm. We have to, you know, I guess, make sure our children have the upbringing they want in a way. Mm. And the eight hours, the Maria who saw it was, was my first ever team member in my company. So I remember when I first started uh, blogs, I was desperate for a team member. I needed someone that I could trust, rely on, a uh, bit of a bit of a mentor, and obviously she was a clear winner. So I gave her a phone call and um, offered her the job, and she took it, which was it was great. That's amazing. Well, we'll obviously we'll come on to that. So, so going back to then, so when you were fourteen, so you went in there and you just loved it. So you were mainly were you actually doing hair at this stage, or were you actually just just shampooing and making the teas and coffees? Yeah, so I started doing colour work when I was sixteen. Um, not trained, just they taught me in the salon and went from there really. But from fourteen to sixteen, literally just teas, coffees, shampooing, um, yeah, sweeping the floors. Um, getting the trolleys ready for the stylus. But I, I'm so sort of competitive. I remember thinking back, I would challenge myself every hour to do, I don't know, um, five shampoos or to do, carry three cups at a time for drinks <laughs> or sort of like uh, get quicker and quicker sweeping the floor. So I, remember, I was always sort of very competitive with the other princes that were in the salon. I'm trying to sort of, I guess, show that I could do it better anyway yeah absolutely and you really could you really could so so did you um then when you left school did you do a levels did you do any exams i did, did i you? did yeah okay and then what did you did you go and then work in the hairdressers full-time after that i did yeah so i was doing a levels in design technology and business studies mm. the two mm. that i chose i was, I was looking away that back in my back <laughs> back in my day sort of thing you could do two a levels at a time and gave her lots of free time. So I then was at uh, working in the salon on a Wednesday and Saturday. And then a Wednesday night, I was doing training. Mm. So I would do Monday, Tuesday at sick form, Thursday and Friday at sick form, uh, Wednesday, apprentice daytime, and then training in the evening, and then Saturday, um, an apprentice. Right. So just, just lucky how my, my work, my week worked out, having that Wednesday off yeah. allowed me. And the school were good. The school sort of, we're very happy to do that. That's really good because it's such being a hairdresser. My husband Rob, you know my husband, and we always talk about this, and we say it's one of the jobs. To us, it's like an an ideal job because somebody is always going to need a haircut, and also it's creative. You can work anywhere in the world, yep. and and like you, as we'll go on to talk about, you can have your own business. It's just an amazing. I just think it's an amazing job to have. There's literally so many areas you go into. You can travel the world. You can go on to photo shoot, salon work, education, um, celebrity, whatever you want, you can always do it. Mm. And also the good thing with it, it's, it's a skill you can always develop, always improve it and, and keep going with it. And it's, it's, you're talking to people. 
and thing with the public, which I know a lot of people sort of think it's quite hard work, but actually hair is so important to people. Mm. Every client comes to see us happy and sort of look, wanting to get their hair done. So it literally is, in my eyes, one of the best industries you can be in. Mm, mm, mm. I agree. I can totally see that. So staying there. So when you were fourteen, you were being in, when you were an apprentice. Do you still remember the first moment? Because to me, this is terrifying. That very first moment where you pick up the scissors and you actually <laughs> cut someone's hair. And yes. do you, and do you remember that? And who was it? And what was it like? Um, it was my my brother's girlfriend. Oh, so now was my wife. So my sister-in-law. <laughs> and um, it was yeah, not. <laughs> Not the best. <laughs> they're, they're, they're married now, so it's fine. It's all right. But, um, yeah, it was definitely wonky. Was it? Was it uh, what, yeah. the fringe or all of it? Uh, all of it. I wish it was just a fringe, but it was all of it. Oh, <laughs> oh no. And I, I, well, has she forgiven you for it, Joe? She has. I still do her hair now, so it's Quite fine. right. I think, yeah. I mean, I hope, yeah, I get why you do that forever, really. Yeah. It's one of those, it's funny, it's one of those, it's one of those learning skills that you have to there's no substitute for doing it no you can do all the theory you want you can do all the dummy heads or dolls heads you want in practices but until you get onto a client it's hard to understand you can't you can't fake it you've got to just do it mm. and once again even when you're with a client or with a, a model training you can't sort of play it safe you have to make that cut or make that with the scissors mm. and there's no going back afterwards but it's also you instantly see what you've done so you get sort of satisfaction straight away or you can understand where you've gone wrong straight away so right. in that sense it's really good if you go wrong i mean obviously you don't now joe but back in the early days <laughs> could, could you do something quite quickly about it i mean is that how you do it do you take it off sort of yeah. gradually so it's not anything too drastic 100 percent. i mean if, if you get, make a mistake take it shorter right you know, if, you've got, if you've got a wonky you can't leave somebody with a wonky haircut you've got to obviously even it up so i think obviously there's, there's lots of things you learn over the years of your career of how to play it safe and, and where to start and that kind of stuff but generally um yeah you can always put it right it's just is that what the client wants <laughs> <laughs> joe i know now why i come out of your yeah, hair yeah. dresses with <laughs> short much, hair yeah. <laughs> we've been chatting Keep too much <laughs> yeah i'm like oh yeah you said uh, yeah i now know when you say ellie i think you should have a bit shorter now i know why <laughs> you caught me out i did i did amazing amazing so so you stayed there and so you let so you did the coloring first and what would you get what i suppose is the cutting more nerve-wracking than the coloring at the beginning yeah i think it was because i mean it sounds um applying an all over color which is what i was doing so basically you're making sure every bit of hair is covered that's basically what you're doing if a stylist is choosing the right color and that's where the skill set comes in is choosing the right color for the client skin tone hair type and so on and so on but actually applying a color all over similar to you do it yourself you buy it in the supermarket take it home and do it yourself mm. same sort of process just make sure the hair is covered i was doing that from 16 in the salon and um i loved it once again absolutely just I was fascinated by every area of, of hairdressing. I really was. It was crazy how sort of how, but not really ever wanting to do it, to them being literally fascinated by it. Mm, it goes to show what these sort of Saturday jobs, you know, your mum and dad yeah. helping you like that. I mean, what a mum and dad. But so and so gradually, so you were learning it and you were le starting to learn the trade. And did, I mean, 
going back to then, I mean, what was it like working with real people? I mean, there, because like you say, I know you have said this before, that you are sort of more on the introvert side of things, but that you, in, so did you enjoy the one-on-one? Because that's such a big part of it, isn't it? The relationship. Yeah. But as a 16-year-old boy, I can imagine that was quite a tough thing to be doing. Yeah, I think I, I was definitely, I found it easier one-to-one with a client. And bearing in mind, you're also... Uh, stood behind the client uh, and talking through a mirror. And I think that has a massive impact on how maybe in control you feel. Because mm. you are talking through a mirror, sort of stood behind the client. And I think everything to do with sort of psychology, you're sort of in control of the situation in how you're sort of, how you, how you are and, and where you're standing. I remember in, in, the, in the staff room at lunchtimes, I would walk out when somebody walked in. Because if I was on lunch, having my lunch, a stylist walked in or two stylists walked in, I would walk out. So I couldn't have that conversation. I was literally terrified of those, those chats. Mm. I think being a young lad um, probably made it easier for myself actually doing hair in a salon because it was quite sort of novelty for the clients. Mm. There weren't that many young, um, young men doing hairdressing at the time in, in where a salon was. So then clients quite liked it. I think clients also liked having somebody new on their hair and sort of seeing somebody start their career. Mm, mm, I'm sure they did and sort of very was, were very supportive did you have any in those early stages did you have anything that did go wrong that knocked you knocked your confidence yeah I mean I, I, I think in the early days when you get complaints it does massively hit your confidence hugely um, and it does happen you, you do get it wrong we are we are people and it may be a case of not quite understanding what the client wants or uh, missing something doing a colour or even even shampooing, you know, if you get a client wet, you get someone wet down the face or down the back, you know, it, it's really embarrassing. And I do I remember the complaints more than anything else, really. Even nowadays, we still get complaints in the business now. And I always remember them. And that actually, that actually is what um, is a thing that really makes me aware of a business when you get complaints rather than anything else. The trophies and the awards are great, but actually dealing with the clients every day on the salon floor is really what we do as a business. Mm-hmm. Because like we said, the hair, it's so personal, isn't it? And also yeah. people, you don't know what's going on with people and no. and it's, and it's your hair affects everything. I've had some really bad, I've had some big, big complaints when I've got it wrong. Just, just learning my craft, um, not understanding what a client actually means when they say certain things and also not reading situations. You know, I think hair is really personal and if if you go for a a big change in your personal life one of the first things you do as a a person is you change your hair whether it be blonde to dark dark to blonde long to short and i think it's understanding that situation and and being delicate with it is definitely something that i've learned and matured over the years with Mm, mm. and and when in those early days because i can sort of liken it i mean it's like me sort of writing my books and getting all my rejections but then also when i do when i did my first live reports for tv and you know you muck up and it's really hard you know it, yeah. it's you it's the same thing that you have to do the only way you can learn is by doing it so for yeah. you when you had those first complaints and you probably just wanted to sort of run out of the salon to get the confidence <laughs> to, <laughs> to get the um, pretty much yeah yeah pretty much. yeah as i say i now know why you're always running up the road when i come and see you but um <laughs> 
<laughs> but we um but when you were there and again I'm going back because I'm thinking you know I've got boys and you know the sort of them as teenagers dealing with this and then having the comfort you have to then go back and cut someone else's hair that must have really taught you a lot of resilience yeah 100% I mean um you yeah, there's two sides of it I mean first thing is yeah when you when you hear have a, a client complain um you do sort of like what the world swallow you up and disappear it is really embarrassing and it is awful not so much because um you got it wrong but because the client is unhappy with their hair mm-hmm. and you know from uh, how much it it, it it can affect the client how they feel and i think but you have to put it right you can't hide from it and i always think you know you can't leave i've always actually funny i've always really the client complained um that's fine if they wanted to come back and have it redone that was my chance to then turn it around and actually let the client know that i can do my job properly i can make them happy and then keep them a client forever mm. and i do think it's how you handle the complaints that actually makes a big difference and even though maybe you're dying inside um and in the member when i was first started in the staff room very supportive you never laughed at, you never joked about, it's always a case of, are you okay? What's gone wrong? Talk to me. And then the sort of the more senior staff back in those days would sort of almost calm me down and talk you through where you've gone wrong and made a mistake. Mm. You could then go back onto the salon floor and actually deal with the client. And I think you have to just be honest and say, look, I got it wrong, sorry. Mm. You know, I'm very, very sorry. Um, and talk to the client. I think if you get very, I think if you get um, defensive and put your walls up, I think the it's not good in any situation in life. I don't think in, in situations like that, you have to be very open, hold your hands up. Sometimes you got it wrong. Um, but I do honestly feel that it, we all make mistakes are bound to We're that's, that's life. But it's how you actually deal with the mistakes, deal with the reje- rejection or the complaints and put it right. Yeah. And do you deal with that in the same way even now? I mean, even if you do have somebody and this must happen that where they've asked for something and you've given them what they've asked for. But when they, they actually see it, they think, oh, my goodness, this is not what we want or this is not how I thought I would look. Um, and again, it's all so sensitive. But even if you know that you haven't really made a mistake, do you still act in the same way? If someone the point is they're not happy and it's your job 100%. to make them feel happy. 100 mm. percent. It's not even a, it's not even an issue for me. The minute the client says, it's not quite what I'm after, but I come back in. It's not even, um, it's, it's not even a big deal within my team either. Like, I mean, I, I understand how they feel sometimes where um, they're giving the client what they want and, and the clients change their minds. But I always look at the long time, you know, value to a client and the loyalty long term is far more important to me than a quick sort of issue so i actually also like having clients complain mm. and that sounds really strange saying that no um but it shows me that they actually they, they want to come back and see us they want to be open and honest with us and actually they'll trust that we'll handle it correctly mm. i'd much rather that have it by email or a phone call or someone um pulling me aside in the salon and telling me it could be the music's too loud um they heard some they heard something inappropriate conversation somewhere at the, at the backwash, backwash area or the drinks aren't quite right or anything all the way up to a colour being wrong or cuts wrong i think to me if i can have that openness with the clientele you're always going to have you know the, the knowledge to actually improve things mm. 
Yeah, absolutely. You don't. And, want and, to... and literally, I, I literally at the minute, um, I, I say to my team as well. So I, I have no issues with the complaints. So if a team member's having a complaint, or um, even two or three complaints in the same week, for example, it is not going to affect their job security, and it's not going to affect how I am with them. First of all, I want to find out is my team member okay? What's going on? Why are they making mistakes all of a sudden, rather than not? And second of all, it's I can understand how you can make a mistake in hairdressing. I really can. But I can't understand somebody that's late, if they're late to work or they leave early every night. And that's the difference with me. So I can, I'm very understanding and very sort of supportive on why you might make a mistake doing a haircut or hair colour. But I'm not very understanding when it comes to being late every day or leaving early every day. And I think that's where I sort of, I've learned over the years where you need to be supportive and understanding and where you've got to be a little bit firmer and that makes sense mm, it does make it does make absolute sense we, um we'll come on to that when we talk about you what you're doing now but just so going back there before we get before we do move on let me just ask you this what do you do if somebody asks you for something that you know won't suit them at all do you do you try i mean did i uh, yeah i probably speak from yeah. experience when i come in and say joe can i have the mohican <laughs> <laughs> um uh, but what do you do what do i do First of all, I ask them why they want that. <laughs> I always want to understand why. Why is it that they're looking for, and um, and then go from there. Really, if it's something that they they, I know. I, 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 yeah, there's there's obviously um, a spectrum up there of where you can go on this. I think if if it's impossible with their hair, or not going to be able to, to cope with it every day, or blow drying every day, or the maintenance of upkeep financially. Uh, or colour-wise, then it's a different sort of conversation. But also, I, I do sometimes think that if a client really, really wants something, and they're desperate for it, I sort of think, why should I stop them having that? If I explain to them that it's not quite what I, I would advise them to have, um, maybe try it longer or shorter or a bit more softening here or there. But if they're adamant, that's what they want, and they, they definitely want that, then I do sort of think, well, actually, yeah, okay, I'll create that for you. And I think you get on the process of during the haircut of a different sort of different process where you take it section by section and area by area and talk the client through what you're doing at any, any one stage. So therefore they can really understand what you're doing. Mm, mm. Um, but yeah, I, I, if it's a case of maintenance financially or time or hair type, that's different. And you then say, look, that's not quite right, but you love that picture, you love that celebrity let's do a similar thing, but change it like this. Mm. So then you always have to give a, um, I think if you just say, oh, that's awful, never going to work, not going to suit you, that's probably the worst thing you can say. I think if you're actually trying to understand where they're coming from and trying to understand what it is the client actually wants, you can then start to, um, you know, discuss options of a similar outcome, but maybe not quite the same sort of look. Yeah. No, I can understand that. You are very good. I know when I come in and I show you pictures of like people like Cameron Diaz. <laughs> I'm like, I know, I know you're not going to make me look just like her, but her hair at least. Far better than Cameron Diaz, Ellie. Far better than Cameron Diaz. Oh, stop. I'll I'm get sure out she of takes here. a picture of you to her hair. Well, of course she does. Way. Yeah. I'm like, Cameron, put that down, please. Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, so, but, so, there, so there you were. So you were working on Chandos Road. So for people listening to this, um, 
in who don't come from Bristol. That's all. So where you're, so you're, where you are now, and where you got your first salon. So it's all very close to there, wasn't it? So yeah, it is. how did you go? So you were presumably you you got lots of experience and you were doing very well. But then you decided that you really wanted to have your own business because that's one of one one of the reasons why you wanted to work in hairdressing because you wanted to have um, your own business. So what happened next? How did you go about that? Well, it's interesting. I'll, I'll get back a step quickly. Actually, I missed a bit out. A bit, I missed a step myself there. So I did A levels and I was in um, A levels and, and uh, salon work. And I think I was eighteen coming out of A levels, and even though I loved hairdressing. It was still very unusual for, you know, I came from a little village where, you know, young boys didn't do hairdressing. Young boys went into doing either, either farm work or um, university or um, builders, uh, building trade, that kind of stuff. I was sort of the only child in the whole village or the only boy in the whole village going into hairdressing and the only boy in the entire school going into hairdressing as well. A lot of the young girls are going to hairdressing, but not boys. And there, there was um, there was some Mickey taking and some comments made. But my mates around me at the time could see how much I loved it, and they just sort of were all very supportive of me. So after A levels, the police force actually came on my, on my radar. I remember thinking, because um, in the school, everyone was saying, "Oh, a lot of people are saying hairdressing is not a great career. It's sort of you'll be." stuck in a small salon um, and all the same sort of comments that you get, normal sort of comments. I remember th sort of thinking the police actually is, might also be a, an idea for me, but actually I wanted to be sort of top CI, you know, investigation, police force, not on the beat. I thought I'll be really, I always thought I'll be quite high up wherever I went, just because I had aspirations to always move on to the next thing and push myself further and further and further rather than being, um, happy where I am. I'm, I'm very much what's next, what's next. I remember my dad sitting me down for a really long chat and he sort of said, like, why aren't you going to go into hairdressing? And I sort of said, oh, dad, I'm not sure. It's, it's, it's not a career for me and almost made every excuse that I could do under the, at that point to actually get out of it. And he actually sort of like took me around salons himself to show me sort of salons in Bristol, how good they really were, how big they were, how, how um, sort of careers you could have in them and actually sort of over a period of time I, I actually changed my mind back into hairdressing and thought no it, it is what I want to do I do want to do it and I think I'm very grateful for my parents at that point sort of talking me and giving me time to actually talk my problems through and mm -hmm. sort of um rather just being like oh yeah your son is your, your future your career son off you go they actually sort of almost taught me into doing it um which I'm very grateful for because I knew deep down is what I wanted but I didn't have the confidence to actually say that at the time. Um, so I went into full-time in the, in the salon uh, for a year as an apprentice, full-time apprentice in Maria's salon, the same salon. And then she actually was selling it. So I was 19 and a half, 20. And um, I thought I'd buy it off her. I thought I've, I want my business. Um, so I spoke to Maria about it. I said, look, would you sell me your salon? I know you want to retire and get out of it. And she actually took me for lunch and was like, Joe, look, it's too early for you. Um, I'd love to sell my business to you, but it's too early for you in your career to own a business. Uh, you need to go out and enjoy yourself and do other things before you do this. And actually, once again, great advice. Um, she thought about me rather than herself. 
and arranged sort of bank balance for selling it to me. Um, so I left there, and right at that time, there's a salon in Bristol that was sort of doing very well in the the sort of the arty world, the um, catwalk world, and I thought if I'm going to go for a job, I want to go for a job right there. That's it. I want to go for I. I went for interviews in the Tony and Guys, um, loads of salons, but none of them felt, none of them felt right for me. If I'm honest, you, you sort of walked in there and you'd feel on edge, like you didn't fit in. They're all staring at you. It's very, um, you know, dog eat dog and that kind of stuff. And I didn't want that. I wasn't sort of, I couldn't cope with that. So I went for a job in a salon that was actually very, very good, a phenomenal team. Um, I walked in there and got the job there and then. I sort of went in there, asked to speak to the manager, and she um, had 10 minutes spare, had a quick cup of coffee on the sofas, and she said, yeah, when do you want to start? And, and I literally got very lucky. And this is why I got very lucky here, because just at that time, somebody left the company who had a, a huge training plan put together for them, and they, they literally left about a week, week before I joined. So they had all the money invested into this um, training plan for this person and offered it to me and they offered it to everyone else in the salon first of all and it was in London every couple of weeks and everyone said no because it was just a commitment on a, on a Sunday and Monday but I was like brilliant I'll do it so literally for, for a year of training I was in London every Monday and every Sunday and Monday um, getting the coach up Monday, a Sunday morning early getting the coach back Monday night late then back to work on the Tuesday Saturday so literally, it was seven-day weeks for about a year, on off, on off, on off, um, and it was training through Vidal Sassoon, L'Oreal. So it's phenomenal training, um, and you literally find yourself. I had to pay for my own transport and hotel in, in the evenings, so you would either literally get the cheapest hotel you could, and it was like some real grotty places I stayed in, but the training I had and the education was just phenomenal. And open, open my eyes to the world of hairdressing when you sort of see people in London who are literally the cream of the, you know, the, the, the best of the best, um, showing you what you can do. It opens your eyes to salons that you're in that, that are just, it's an experience rather than just getting your hair done. And it really opens your eyes to what can be done in the industry. But you sort of bringing that back into Bristol, I sort of, from even that young age, I saw a bit of a hole in the market, a gap in the market where there was no real salons in Bristol that were operating like that. They were, in, in my eyes, they were operating as a, as a salon um, who employed people rather than actually a business that took care of people and gave careers. And that was from a young age what I, what I noticed. And from that point on, it was more a case of a process to go through, like get your training, um, become more confident, uh, push yourself, um, work on my weak areas. And that was in that, that salon. I then went from there to a salon on Gloucester Road where I was self-employed. So I started to understand accounting and understand um, a bit more of a work ethic. If, if you don't go on holiday, you don't get paid. If you're phoning sick, you don't get paid. And so on and so on. So it's really understanding the nuts and bolts of keeping receipts, invoices, um, stock control, at a very, very small level, but trying to understand as much as I could. And then, um, even from working there, 
I was there for four years in that salon being self-employed. And I was always looking for salons to open, uh, opportunities out there to sort of like, um, to go for units to look at. And then where I am now came up, um, a brand new development being built, literally a brand new block of flats with units below. And I remember viewing it for the first time. Um, um, I, I thought it was too small. I remember saying to my dad, it's, it's, it's much too small. I can't use this, dad. I can't work here. And my dad was like, son, it's a perfect first time salon. You know, don't get ahead of yourself. Just it's perfect location, perfect size. Um, it's a brand new commercial unit. So it's, it's relatively cheap to refit. So you're not carrying too much debt from the start. And um, that was it, went for it. Mm. Um, naivety, really. I mean, I look back now and I, I had no idea what I was doing. But I sort of just, I, I winged it quite a lot and got a sort of, and yeah, made it happen just by making mistakes, laughing it off and carrying on. <laughs> well, and running up the street when it was all going wrong. But no, yeah, in, yeah, you're, you're, you're up that and down that Gloucester Road. But ne, but Every I day. mean, there's so much there, Jack. Right. So that's, I mean, that's just all incredible. So first of all, going right back to like with your mum and dad, how they spoke to you. I mean, I just think that's amazing because it's such a fine line, isn't it? You're, you're a parent and it's, and I know your girls are very young, but it's that fine line where you think you don't want to be a pushy parent, but actually no. there is, there does come a point where you can see you were making, you were thinking about the police for all the wrong reasons and they could see how yep. so, and, and, but also you listen to them, which I think that is incredible. And then you listen to Maria as well, because, yeah. and, it, and if you hadn't have done that, I mean, she, like you say, she could have easily sold it to you. And it yeah. could have been a whole different, you could have gone down a whole, and 19's young, but then you went to work for the other salon. And what salon was that, Joe? What was the one that you did all the training with? Uh, Central Studio. Right, right. So you did that. So you had all that. And then, so all of it was, it, it's incredible, isn't it? It was all piecing together to exactly yeah. where you were supposed to go. But yet you could have, you could have not got there, but you listened and, and you showed the resilience of going up there on a Sunday and the month, you know, it was all teaching you everything you need for what you're doing today. Yeah. I, I, I still remember the, the, the chat my dad had with me. It's in, it's in the garden, on the garden bench. And actually I have a lot of my meetings with my team members outside now. So I remember starting to think, but I think since having kids, it, it, I don't, everything changes your life and it, it does massively. But it also actually opened my eyes to a lot of things that I didn't appreciate before I had kids and massively has affected me in a positive way as to how I treat people and that kind of stuff. Mm. And when my dad's sitting in the garden, on the, on the garden bench, in the sunshine, because um, at the end of sort of school holiday sort of thing, and just like just a, a general chat for a couple of hours. And it was just sort of no pressure, just a back and forth. Um, trying to, I think he was trying to understand or get me to say the problem I had in my mind, mm. which was, um, you know, being, I, I was afraid of, of going into a career of the only one going into it in mm. a way. But actually, um, that's also a great opportunity to actually push yourself forward and go for it. Mm. Once again, and, and I think I, I am very stubborn and I do make my own mind up a lot of the time, but I'll always make sure I listen to people's advice and opinions, first of all. And then I literally go on what feels, what feels right at the time. Mm. There's no sort of right or wrong with me. It's a case of if it feels right, I'll, I'll go for it and do it. So therefore, if people are saying to me, you're too young um, to open your business at 19, for me, it probably was too young, 
and I look back at that now and I'm grateful for what I've learned since. Mm-hmm. But when you, and I love this story, I'm going to ask you to tell it, tell it because it's just, I just think it's brilliant. So then, so, okay, so you, you had your lovely salon, which you still have today. Uh, you have another one as well. But the one you have is yep. on the Gloucester Road in Bristol, which again, for people who, who don't know, um, the Gloucester Road in Bristol, it's like the largest, is it the largest independent high street? Oh, it's got the biggest amount of independent shops on a high street in the yes. UK or something like yes. that. It's, it has, I mean, it's, it has. it's pretty snazzy. It's snazzy. And so there you were. But it, I think at that time it was still, should we say, up and coming as well, you know, and different <laughs> good, parts of the road. Yeah, that's, a, that's, a good, that's a good word. Yeah, ah, that's good words. Well, I lived off it, Joe. <laughs> and the, that's what the estate agent told, <laughs> told <Yeah>. my husband. <laughs> it's up and coming. Those words you love to hear. Um, and so, so, but you, so I love this. So there you were, you, you got it all ready, but you didn't employ anyone. It was just no. you. And then you open the door and then what happened next? So can you explain to the lovely listeners what happened that first day, what you did? Um, uh, survived. <laughs> That's what you sort of, uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I actually had my, a lot of my friends on that first day because I was thinking I want to try and just ease into this sort of slowly. And um, it's a lot of friends. Uh, I, I think it just hit home as to what, what I was doing. Like, crikey, this is it. Now, this is... Um, yeah, this is serious stuff. This is, this is, I think it hit home when I first opened the salon up. I think I went into it before that thinking, look at me, got me in business and all that sort of ego side of it. And I think the reality hits of ah, paying bills. You know, I've got to pay bills and I've got to do this. So I think you, you went through a bit of a reality check from day one straight away. Mm. And you, you said you opened the door and really you, you just waited for the first person to walk in. Yeah. yeah. So, so I, I had no name above the door. There's no name for salon. It literally had um, the mirrors, the stations, the, the, the wash basins, and um, literally just that's how naive I was. Once again, I think it's right, t- right place, right time. I, I opened up. There's a shortage of salons in the area. I know that there's a salon further down Gloucester Road, um, and that was called Zoo, and that actually closed down about a month before I opened. He retired down to Cornwall. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, there was a whole salon clientele looking for a new salon and then I popped, then I put up, I popped up and opened up so once again you start having clientele coming through your door from day one mm-hmm. um, and that's just pure luck there's nothing you can you can't plan for that that's just once again right place right time and I remember I gave it a year um, on my own working on my own and that literally I was working seven day weeks uh, 10 hour days just to clear off the debt of the business so I thought I want to get the business debt free before it starts to do anything else. I can then start to employ people, um, train people and so on and so on. And even though it was uh, brutally hard, you know, it took a toll on me probably personally in my personal life doing that. Um, I don't have any regrets because also some of the best days of my life will be in those days when you're, you know, 9pm at night still doing a haircut in your own salon. Mm. It's a great feeling, you know, you're on your own, you're doing it yourself. And there's no better feeling at that point in my career until those days. Mm. How old were you then? I was, show me age now, uh, 27. <laughs> right. And <laughs> Caught so, me out, damn. Yeah, the, so, I mean, that was a few years after 19, you know, when you first yeah, thought about yeah. it at 19, it was a few years. And so that first person who walked in to your yeah. shop, I mean, I take it it wasn't your sister-in-law this time. No, it was actually a client. She's actually still in the salon now. She's still a salon client now. Is she? Can you say yeah. her name? Or is that is that classified information? 
Um, they're called Angela. Let's call her Angela. Her name. There you go. Yeah. And it's for, it's for highlights and cut and blow dry. Amazing. Amazing. Um, and then it just never I, stopped. I still, a lot of my clientele now that I have were the ones that came for me when I first started in the salon. Mm. And um, I remember one of my clients now, she came in and said, oh, what are you? And I said, oh, we're hair salon. She said, oh, brilliant. Can I have a haircut? I was like, <laughs> yeah, book in. So mm. it's, sort of, it's one of those things that uh, I let my clientele with me on the journey for a long time it's great you know mm. and literally yeah there's no name above a salon door um just opened up and just learned along the way amazing and that's how you got your name blogs wasn't it because there wasn't a name yeah exactly so for the, yeah, once again my dad got involved in this as well so uh we literally <laughs> um I, I never wanted my name i never wanted joe's or joseph's or my surname because to me when you answer the phone to, to your salon to your own shop and you say, good afternoon, Joe Salon, Joe here. It just sounded like so pretentious and so awful. So, um, and I didn't want a name, I don't want like, I don't want like um, uppercut or snips. So that's too sort of cheesy. Snips. I remember once again, my dad phoned me one day and said, son, I've got a great name for your shop. And I was like, what is it, dad? He said, oh, blogs, B-L-O-G-G-S. And I was like, what do you mean? He said, oh, just Joe Blogs. So, the average man on the street with you know that's what you are with the salon and once again about another month went past and clientele started saying to me like what are you going to call it you, you can't not have a name forever and i started telling clients my, my options and uh every client just said it's a no-brainer what are you even waiting for it's it's, it's perfect for you mm. so that was it that's how it all sort of started mm. and um it took quite a while for me to actually like it i must admit I do now, um, but for quite a while I was like, "Oh, I don't like it. It's too, it's too harsh. It's too um, hard to say." But actually, it's worked out for me perfectly. Mm, it, well, it is perfect actually because it's interesting because that's so obviously I came along with our mutual friend Abigail, yes. who I'm sure yeah. um, will be listening to this, uh, and thank you, Abigail, for introducing us. But they, um, but I remember because you do feel and it's interesting what you were saying um, about Tony and Guy, and this is nothing against Tony and Guy. I used to go there, but I, I do, um, you know, when you go into some hairdressers, you do feel can feel a bit intimidated, and it can feel a bit very, um, or, and especially at certain stages like that stage. I just had. Uh, what Abby is the same. We just had our babies, and you, you, you know, you're, you're, you're not feeling your best, perhaps. And what I do love, and I'm not just saying this, I promise, but it makes so much sense why blogs is like it is because it is like that. It's very warm and friendly. It's completely yeah. unpretentious. Um, and even as you got bigger, because because it has got bigger. So obviously, you started to then employ people, didn't you? So yeah. And yeah, so yeah. so when when was it that you employed your first person? um literally a, a year after i opened july 13th opened july 13th and i employed uh, my first person it was that the year after um that i employed um to take three people join the company between the july and the october right right and was one of those people maria it was she was the first that's just amazing yeah so, I, so maria joined first of all um, I remember giving her a phone call, phone up at night and saying, look, can you please meet me for a drink? I want to chat to you. Um, and uh, she, she said, yes, I'll come and join you, which is brilliant. It was great because she had a really good business and I respected her massively as 
a boss and also a bit of a mentor at the time. So what I had in my business, for example, I could then ask questions. How's this? How's that? What's going on here? What's going on there? And get a bit of a feel for things. And she's a um, very realistic and therefore she knew what you can and what you can't do. Um, if things are costing too much, she'll give you a bit of a heads up here and there. And we actually, um, December just gone, so last 20, 21 December, we were short of team members. So I phoned up again, asked her again to come back and work for us. <laughs> and she had a day with us in December. Mm. And it was great, you know, having having her back in the business again, it's great to have that relationship still there. Mm. And obviously then, um, Esther, joined, Esther, joined, Esther was my first sort of stylist properly from the start that I took on. I love you, you know Esther. I know Esther and very well. She's been a phenomenal uh, team member for me in the business. Yeah, she is. Um, and literally incredible to have her alongside me in the business, yeah. Yeah, well, she is lovely. I mean, and that's what I was going to go on to say because because as well, that is, and this is what you and I have spoken about, and it, that as well of putting yourself out there, you know, it, because it's so hard, isn't it, Joe, to to that to make that step like that day when you opened your salon door, and especially when you were just doing it for yourself, you didn't know which way it was going to go, and you you know, and you're working all those hours, but then to a you started to have your clients, they were sort of very much part of it part yep. of it all from the very beginning and they I suppose then you, you've got people on that and I know you've talked about this with me when I was telling you, you I mean you've he heard me go on for years witter on about my books and about <laughs> <laughs> you're like oh god I'm gonna cut it a bit shorter this time this hair but um <laughs> the, the, it's um but you know we've talked about it and you know I'd say oh you know I've been you know I've got more rejections and that kind of thing but like you you know you said the classic line to me which I still quote all the time but no <laughs> nobody likes an overnight success story Ellie and it's like well it's 12 12 years joe but still i wish i was but yeah yeah yeah, yeah. But, <laughs> yeah i know still well, you say that because i'm not that's all it is oh but the, i mean what does the story have here but but we've seen it we've all seen it and so we saw yeah. that how your your salon you, you you know you'd come in and you'd have some more team members and then the atmosphere is getting better and then you went from that to opening another salon which is a much yeah. bigger salon on the harbour side yeah. and then so you really that all changed everything again. And also, before we go on to it, I should just say, because I have been, I have met as well your very lovely lady, Emily. Um, yep. So at this stage, did you know, because you talked about with your personal life, because you were working all those hours. Were you yep. and Emily together at this, by this stage? No, no. So Emily, um, we, we were at the very, very, very start. No, um, we've been together for quite some years now. So she probably came along she came along probably just at the uh, year four, year four of the business. Okay. So that was just as the business was starting to take off. And actually that was just at the time when, um, to be fair, that was just at the time actually when I, I had quite a bit of, quite a big change in team members at the time. Um, I was learning how to manage people, how to lead people, how to be an employer. Um, made not lots of mistakes and um, had a bit of a change around in, in team members, if you want to say that. And Emily sort of joined then. Um, and then that was it, really, yeah, from, from then onwards. Mm, okay. Well, that, yeah, no, and well, she's. I mean, yeah. she's, a, she's, also, she's, also, she's a hairdresser as well. So I think she understands how it works. Mm. Um, she also understands how I am. Um, and she, she's she's very good. I think she she lets me, she she gives me lots of freedom to 
um, immerse myself in my business, in my work, in my career. And then she also has the, she, she feels comfortable enough to tell me, enough's enough, Joe, come on, put your phone away, mm. put, put your laptop down and let's have like um, time together now. So mm. I think it works well in that way, yeah. Mm. And you know as well that she's really understanding it and you try, again, you're trusting her opinion and yeah. advice. And I know when she, said, when, when she says something, she actually really means it because she will let me, she understands that I need to sort of fulfill my own career side of things. But then I know when she says enough's enough, I've probably pushed it too far. And then it is right. I better listen to this. I better listen actually now before I <laughs> get, get, get an ear bashing. Yeah, put that phone down, Joe. Put that phone down. So, so yeah, to, so to explain to the um, listeners what the harbour side is, I mean, it's totally different to your Gloucester Road one, isn't it? It's a really, I mean, yeah. how many, if you give them pair it in size, it's, I mean, it, what is it? Double, triple? I mean, it's huge in comparison. It's, yeah, it's about four times the size. Right, yeah. And once again, I mean, this is where it's, this is where it's funny. So I, I always wanted one large salon. I wanted one massive salon where you could have a cafe in there, um, all that kind of stuff. And I, I was looking and looking on Gloucester Road for years and years, and a few things fell through. And then literally this unit appeared. We, we sort of lived about a five, two-minute walk from, from the salon in, in the harbour side, the second salon. And walking past it one day and saw the sign um, available and just emailed and it went from there and once again naivety got me through it i had no idea what to get myself in for i, I had a small salon on the gloucester road number one salon and i was there every day so therefore you haven't got to manage much because you can see it all yourself in your own eyes mm. and they went to a salon which was four times the size and therefore four times the running cost pretty much and um no clientele at all literally and and it's that first year was really touch and go it was uh i numerous times i'd phone my dad and almost say um i can't do it i've got to close shut, shut it down walk away because it was times when you're, you're hemorrhaging money left right and center and um what just happened actually as well we just had our first child so we i literally remember the the opening night to the second salon uh, Emily was pregnant, but we hadn't told the team yet. It was so early. So literally we opened and then I became a dad at the same time. Wow. So all the, your mindset is seven day weeks, 10 hour days and build it again. Then you've got my daughter in, 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 in my life, which is the most important thing at that point. So you can't do 10 hour days, seven day weeks. Um, Emily stops working because now I'm maternity leave. Mm. So your household income drops and it, it was, it was, you know, very, very tough as a family of three of us. Um, but you get through it and actually it's the best thing ever that could happen to me actually at the time was how hard it was in the business and how hard at home it was financially. Um, because you understand that you don't need, um, stacks and stacks of toys. You don't need, um, the latest designer clothes for your child. All you need is to spend time with them and play with them and interact with them. Mm. And I think that's what I had. We couldn't afford much because we were, money was really tight. Um, sold the family car, went down to um, a three door little run around, trying to get the car sitting in and out of the car and the buggy in and out. is a real sort of, um, you know, I think from the outside world looking in, um, 
and probably your ego got dented quite a bit in the sense of you think you're got two salons, look at me uh, winning some awards and so on and so on. But the reality of it is uh, it was tough, really hard. And Emily was, was phenomenally supportive during that. And, you know, it was only about, about year three that we finally uh, cleared the debts of our first year's trading. Mm. And then literally cleared the debts in the, the February of that um, third year trading. And then COVID happened. Mm. And then you went to another time of absolute mayhem. Oh, so yeah. I think that there's, that was when I really learned business the most ever and the most life lessons I've had and the most, uh, yeah, when you really found out what it was like and what's important in life. Mm. And I think from that point onwards, I made a conscious effort to try and change the business and make it more uh, people friendly again and actually even for your team members and be more understanding and that kind of stuff. Because sometimes if, if your daughter's been up all night not sleeping mm. or she's got a poorly stomach or she's, um, you know, being a parent is worrying, especially when the babies and they can't communicate or tell you anything. When, when they're poorly, it's worrying. Mm. So if, you, if I go to work worried for my daughter at home, I'm sure my team members will also worried for their children if their children are poorly. So you have to understand that, you know, people do behave differently, uh, maybe not work at their complete um, capacity every day if things are going on in their personal lives are going on. Mm, mm. And also the phys I mean, for you, the, the mental exhaustion, but also for all of you, the, the physical exhaustion, which we haven't really spoken about, but the fact that you're on your feet all day and you're talking to people all day, which that can be as great as it is, that can be totally exhausting. So if you're working and you've got to be performing all the time. Yeah, you, you don't, honestly, you don't, you don't feel that when you're doing it because mm. you, you love what you do. You, you, it's not until probably, I can do um, a 12-hour day cutting hair, talking to clients, and I finish that day and I'm absolutely buzzing, having a great day. I'd spend six hours doing spreadsheets or business accounting work. On a, on a, I'm frazzled, I'm knackered. So I think just me as a person, that sort of interaction with people, you get sort of energy from mm, mm. It's, it's, it's funny you, you just do it's, it's like everyone says that but your feet don't hurt because you get used to it um you're chatting to clients which is great every client is different every hour is different um so yeah so i, I honestly would say you never feel that when you are working mm, that's amazing because you obviously are enjoying it so much going back there though when you were saying like the, those were the you know it was like the darkest time it was the yeah, hardest time 100%. what what would you say was the biggest lesson that you learned through that time? Oh, um, the biggest lesson that I learned was uh, what's important in life, you know, and that was my, my family. Mm. Uh, 100%, that was it. Like, um, the yeah, the yeah, that was it. Literally, the, the money, money does not buy you happiness having two salons or trying to have, you know, you grow in the business for the lifestyle that you want in a way that you think you want, but actually the lifestyle that all you really need is to be around people that you love and love you. And that's it. Mm. And I know you I mean, were... we, we lived in a, a one bedroom flat and to get sleep. So Emily would be in, in um, the bedroom co-sleeping with Nola, our daughter, and I'll be on the sofa for about a year. Um, you know, so, but even though I was on the sofa for a year and she was co-sleeping with it, with Nola sort of giving the best she could do for our daughter, 
um, and breastfeeding and so on and so on. Uh, it was also some of the happiest times of our lives because we were just a family of three, mm. just enjoying ourselves, spending time together, laughing, um, having fun together. Mm. Mm. How lovely. And I remember you always saying, like, you always like wanted to keep your original Gloucester Road because that was almost, you know, like another one of your children. But then you've got, as long as you've got that, you know, you're, you're going to be all right, really, aren't you? Yeah, that's the thing. I, I, I would, I would, Gloucester Road Salon to me is a massive part of me and I would never want to close it down ever. I, I really wouldn't. And um, I walk in there, it feels like I'm going home. It feels like home. And, and that was a... I, I see both sounds very differently. Gloucester Road to me is, is where I first started. I see it as, as being home. And the Harbside Salon I see as um, a business. So I'm not there as much. Um, it's a far more serious operation in regards to the costings and the numbers and it has to be run a, very, a bit differently because there's money involved unfortunately and uh, i've got children to look after now and and to you know, protect and support and you have to have a business that can actually do that mm -hmm. and you your two lovely girls it's lena isn't it and nola and you are mm. surrounded by women joe there's a lot of ladies I in am, your yeah. life very yeah. lovely ladies in your life but i've got a male dog so it's fine <laughs> <laughs> that's right, Stan. You do. <laughs> um, that's funny. Um, so, so go. But yeah. So, I mean, you you say about uh, uh, you won some awards. You mentioned that when you say that, I was looking up earlier. I mean, it is incredible, Joe. It is incredible. Now, you've been voted Salon of the Year. Is it three times now? And you're in yes. the basically the British Hairdressing Hall of Fame. I mean, that yes. is that is pretty big. I mean, wait, okay. So when you think now to when you were 27 and you opened yeah. the door and you were waiting for Angela to come in. If you could, if you could ever have thought that, I mean, I'm going to say it's obviously just a couple of years later, but you yeah, know, not course, to reveal any ages. But if you would have ever thought that that would happen to you, to blogs, to the name that you weren't so keen on, you know, at the beginning, yeah, yeah, and you've, yeah, yeah. you've created a family there, and I know you have because I come in there, and you've created this wonderful world for your own family as well. But then to have that kind of recognition, I mean, what does that feel like? And could you ever have imagined it? Um, no, I couldn't, if I'm honest with you. I mean, I, I thought I'd be retired by now on a beach in the Mediterranean somewhere. So uh, <laughs> it's, definitely, it's definitely been a different and not harder than I thought. Um, yeah, the, the, it's incredible to sort of have that uh, title. Three, yeah, three times winner, 2017, 2020 and 2021. Um, the sound of the year for the British Hedging Business Awards is a huge achievement. Mm. And then to be in the Hall of Fame, it's just, um, it, it is incredible. It, it's only really made incredible by the people around me that I've had the, the, the fortunate enough to actually, to manage and, and develop it as a, as a business and a team. Um, but yeah, it, it is, it's, it hasn't really sunken in, I must have been in that, the Hall of Fame sort of from a couple of weeks ago. It's just, but, whether it ever will, I'm not sure. I don't really, as much as it's amazing and I love it, don't get me wrong, it's brilliant. Um, you only get that by doing the basics, which is being with your clientele every day, treating team members right and so on and so on. Um, so I think you have to be very aware that you've got that, yes, but don't let it, you know, um, go to your head because mm. that's a disaster. Mm, mm, but well, you and also, do... and also, I think what's next? I mean, there's no point in having that unless you're going to do anything else with it. No. So for me, it's just a case of if if I was sat here 
in 20 years time having a, another chat with you and that was all we ever achieved i would then be saying it's been a bit of a, a failure really because i think um you should always be pushing yourself to the next thing to the next thing to the next thing if that brings trophies and accolades then so be it if that brings um a, a better business to work for then then great or more happiness in my personal life all that kind of stuff so i think i'm very much aware of that is um phenomenal i'm very happy with that but it is is there's more to come in that sense 100 mm -hmm. and even actually with i actually had the, the, the week before we in the hall of fame two of my team members won the l'oreal color trophy and that actually was an immensely proud night to have team members you know representing the company on stage with models and and being claimed uh, and being given the champion you know it's phenomenal mm. and to have four winners in two years in that competition and no salon's ever done that in the history of hairdressing for l'oreal so but when you sort of think a small salon on gloucester road very normal salon not flash just um sort of down to earth really i've gone on to be the most successful salon in l'oreal sort of color trophy world is just unbelievable mm. four wins in four wins in two years is just it's crazy and that kind of stuff is what I, when you see the team do that and you see the team um, achieve their goals, that to me gets a great buzz now, it really does. Mm -hmm. Before we move on to your to be continued, when you say there about team, and I know how important your team are to you, and we've talked about this, because I think for some people, I mean, A, to, to have your own business, the managing side of people, also some would say, and your, your, all your um, ladies and gentlemen who work for you, I know they're, they're brilliant, but for some, it could be a bit, you know, daunting to manage a, a lot of women, or as it would be to manage a lot of men as well. But <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't really. <laughs> you have to be careful what you say, don't you? You have to be careful. But you know, you know what I'm spot. trying to say. I put you on the spot. If you were going to be a professional footballer, it would have been so different, wouldn't it? But, um, <laughs> but, but you say one of the biz biggest things for you is that you talk, as you touched on earlier, that you really talk things through, don't you? And you go outside, you walk around the yeah. harbour side, you have a coffee, and you just nip things and I, I, nip things in the bud. And I think that yeah. you've you've given me that advice. Not that I employ anyone, but I know you've said that that is the one of the biggest lessons you've learned. Yeah, through lesson through um, Emily really telling me as well. Over like rather than. Um, Emily's great, she's very black and white, and then we know where you stand with her all the time. And I'm probably a bit more grey myself. And you end up getting home in the evenings and moaning about the same situation over and over again. And it just got to a point where it's not healthy for, for us as a couple to be going over the same things. And she would say, just tell them, talk to them. Like, it's not going to change unless you change it. And I think also, rather than getting, um, you know, sort of, sulk with my team myself if i see something not quite right and I, rather than me sulking around or stomping around banging things around in the salon that's not healthy for anyone in the company for them myself everyone starts to question what's going on so i've learned over the years just to have a, to have a chat with people and i think the minute you make it formal or um an email chat or written down chat or warnings and so on and so on everything becomes very more rigid and very it's harder to have this kind of chats. If it's a quick five, 10 minute chat outside in fresh air, walking around, you can do it very easily. And it's more of a relaxed environment and more of a supportive environment rather than a strict formal chat. 
And the minute I see, I have, a, I have quite a clear impression in my head how I want people to behave in the company, how I want people to, um, and nothing to do with hairdressing. It's just strictly how you are as a person in the company. And if I perceive things aren't quite what I would accept or understand, I'll have a chat straight away and um, say to them, look, this is not quite, how, how, how are you getting on? How are you finding things? Um, what's going on? How, what's in your personal life? Blah, blah, blah. And then I'll be like, right, this is not quite right in the company. Um, from my point of view, I'd say this and, and try to let get them understand, rather than telling them my way, trying to get them to understand why I feel that way and why that's not good for the team or um, not respectful of other people. And it's all down to the team, really, of making sure that everyone's um, can together, pulling together. And, you know, if someone isn't um, quite a team player, that's not going to get on too well with other people, you know, and support each other. That kind of and I do have, I probably have chats. Funny, actually, a mate of mine, I was cut his hair the other day, and he said, what's your job now, Jim? What do you do for a job now? And I said, well, I'm, I cut hair and, and run a business. And he said, all I ever see you do is have chats outside and have coffees and cakes. <laughs> but I think, <laughs> I'm thinking, yeah, pretty much. That's all it is. Just um, chatting to my team, making sure they're okay. Anything is not quite right. Yeah, rather than bury your head on the sand and sulk about it, you have to be open and, and discuss it. And, um, and that also stems from actually from employing the right people to do that with. Or just do an interview process nowadays. I'm literally judging that person on, can I talk to them? Nothing to do with hair-wise at all. But there's some people who have got sort of no emotion and with like a, a blank wall. I personally can't, I can't cope the way with that kind of person. If someone's very open, very bubbly, very chatty, very um, just um, relaxed, I'm much easier to read emotions and I can then sort of tailor what I'm saying around that. So I started to learn over the years who I'm better at managing, who I'm better at employing, and therefore you go down that, you look at them first of all, and then make sure you have those chats ongoing afterwards. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, I think that sounds amazing. But also, I like the idea. I'd like to come and work with you, Joe. Actually, I like the idea of that—the coffee and cake on the docks. <laughs> Yeah, pretty, pretty much, yeah. I, I'd like, the only trouble is if I worked for you, everyone's hair would be so short because I'd be, yeah. <laughs> I'd be terrible. But anyway, but how lovely. But so so to move on, to be continued, I mean, I, can yeah. I even imagine this? But what would you like to do next? Uh, I've got two sides of it, actually, that I've sort of, um, the business side of it, I still can agree the business. I'm not finished with salons or salons at all. Um, I have sort of three ideas for things I want to do in Bristol for different salons. And once again, I'm sort of a little bit bored of a traditional hair salon, which is just a hair salon. So three ideas I'm looking at and um, sort of working towards, which would be phenomenal if you could do one of them sort of next year and so on and so on. And, but something I've learned and actually one of the things I've been working on myself during lockdown was public speaking and presenting, live presenting. And it's something I've always, you've always asked me for stuff in the past, interviews in the past, and I've always been so nervous and terrified. <laughs> and But you're very good. It's something that I've had to really work on. And that also happened during lockdown. And I think I started to really en enjoy the process of uh, thinking about yourself and developing yourself. 
So I think for me personally, what's next is I would love to get into sort of coaching um, and inspiring salon owners really to actually almost, almost empower them to have the confidence to, to run the business that they want. I think so many times we second guess yourself or uh, question yourself or don't fully go with it because you're worried you might get it wrong or worried that worried people are going to judge you for doing certain things. And I've made so many mistakes in the, in the business over the years. And I think if I can sort of help people by, by expressing my mistakes and what I've learned, then I'm enjoying that. I'm not sure where that's going to go yet, but I mean, I have an image in my head where I want it to go, where, what I'd love to do, whether I get there or not, who knows, but I'm going to enjoy the journey and um, embrace it really. Yeah, I think it's brilliant. And we've, we have spoken about this in the past, but I know, like you say to, you know, with social things, we've talked about social media, but by doing sort of like piece to cameras on social media, you are really, I know how much that is going out of your comfort zone. But I know as well, and I know from my own experience with my own next chapter, there are certain things I need to start doing that I am, te I'm just terrified about doing and I don't want to do. But if I'm being really serious, I have to do that. And you're the same and you know that. And so I do really admire you because it's, it's not easy, again, opening the door for the first time or stepping over the line. It's really not, but you're doing it and you're really sticking with it and you're seeing the results as well. Yeah, that's the, do you feel, I, I'm getting better and better at it. I'm still not quite to the, um, I think it's learning myself how to do things and understand things. I've been very lucky to, well, I'm working with two people on this. The one person called Simon, who is a, a presenter coach, and the lady called Carrie, who is a, a social media sort of um, coach, if you want to call it that way. And I'm very comfortable with both of them being very open and, and vulnerable in situations. So I'm very happy to, to try something out, show it to them, and let them give you feedback on it, whether that be bad or good. Mm. And therefore, I think because I'm happy to be around them, I'm more open to try things out. And I think it's more a case of just, you've got to get, yeah, it's, um, you have to become more natural at doing it to get your best of yourself out. I think when I've been more trying to be more staged or trying to um, present or be more um, trying to cover up who I am, it's been the wrong way of going. Actually, when you break down all the the the, the barriers of what you're trying to create just to be yourself, that's when I've been my best on camera or my, or my best um, being interviewed or that kind of stuff, mm -hmm. where you are just open and, and um, tell the truth. Mm -hmm. I think I went through a stage where, where you are trying to say what you think people want to hear mm -hmm. or even like in um, business coaching or when you're talking to people about, about your business and that kind of stuff, you end up trying to just say what you think they want to hear rather than telling the truth. And actually, I think when you tell the truth, you're far more, you can engage quicker with somebody because there's, there's emotion and it's more interesting rather than just hot air or, or falseness mm. Mm. it's interesting though joe what you say there to that you're working with two people who you feel very comfortable with and again this this is all part of it so some of these things that we dread they don't need to be as difficult as we think they are they might build up no. um in your mind but if you find the right people who you trust you know if you've got 
even doing something that you find really difficult is becoming a lot probably easier than you perhaps could have imagined it would be because you trust the people. Yeah, and so I've got things lined up for public speaking this year to audiences and to um, for we're starting small and going to grow up to end of um, this time next year doing quite a big sort of a conference where I'm going to hold it and host it and, and talk through my experience to other sound owners. And the, the thought of doing something live is terrifying. Um, but if I have people around me that are saying, no, you can do this, you're ready for this, then um, I trust that mm. and then I go with it. Mm. And I think if you've got people around you saying you're not ready for it, I also would trust that as well. Mm. So sort of in this case of I understand them, I, I know them, they know me. Um, I believe in, I believe in who they are as well as people. You know, it's um, a bit like your husband Rob when I worked with him before when he filmed me for the salon, and you sort of um, you, if someone says that's correct, that's right, then you go with it because you you trust that's what they, that's their skill set. Mm, mm. I think the right the right people make you relaxed, and if they make you relaxed, then the best out of you comes out. Mm. You're lucky, actually, though, because, as you know, Rob does quite a lot of crime reporting, so at least he wasn't coming round trying to, <laughs> like, solve a, a murder of Pretty some much. sort. Yeah, the hair, in the hairdressing world. But, um, so moving on then to your acknowledgements, that kind of links in there, the people that, you know, are helping you, but who are the people who you would like to thank who have helped you along the way? Um, definitely, obviously, I'll my, my parents, phenomenal. Um, I'm very, very lucky to have parents like them around. Emily, uh, my partner. And then in the business, you've got, um, oh, I've got Maria, my started. I've got a few, my managers now, Esther, my first team member, so on and so on. Um, but really, I think it comes down to the people I'm thanking the most, the people around me at home. They're the ones that actually deal with me um, in my worst times when you are stressed when you're tired um grumpy miserable up early in late they're the ones that probably have to put up with the most i think and they're the ones you've got to thank the most really and i got i got there are it's, it's endless whoever i've sort of come across working with um you know, rambling now a little bit, it's a bit of a ramble here this is but i mean there's so many people to thank it, it's unbelievable i've got my clients you know, I say talking to people like yourself across the um, talking to people like you over the years in the salon. I, I thank you for sort of always being there and talking things to you and, and bouncing ideas off. And it's just great to have that kind of relationship with clients, with my team members, with my parents, with my partner, my kids. Um, yeah, you know, I, I think. My friends, I'm surrounded by great friends who've also got their own businesses in different industries. Therefore, you bounce ideas off from them. And I think there's, my circle is very small. I've got a very small network of um, people I work with, but all of them, I'm very grateful for having around me, whether it be my personal life or my business life. Mm. 
No, you're doing such great things. Bit, a bit of ramble there. A bit of ramble there. I do apologise. You're not rambling at all. <laughs> it, well, no, it's such a big, it's such a big thing. But it is, and and say knowing you and knowing what you have done, and we've got lots of mutual friends who all come. My husband Rob been very good with him because in lockdown he would cut my fringe and then you would mend it because yeah, that was all wonky and everything. So, <laughs> <laughs> so you're very patient with us all. But I know all that. You know, I've got lots of friends who all come into you, and it's you know it's just putting us at ease. So it you know it's a mutual it's a mutual admiration it really is but it's yeah. lovely to watch it's been it's lovely to watch a business like yours grow in the way that it does because it it proves that you don't have to be this cutthroat or very you know sometimes yeah. you think oh do you have to be really sort of pushy or out there and you know um and i'm not saying that that's wrong either but for, for us who were not a bit like like that it's quite it's inspiring for us to see how something can grow being very true to yourself so so on on that note going on to your, your tips and advice uh, i mean you've given so much uh, advice already but what would you say to someone? Okay, so first of all, going back, going back to those days where you were toying with the idea of going into the police and thank goodness you didn't, um, yeah. only because of what you've done with the, with the hairdressing. But if you if someone's listening to this and they're thinking, do you know what, I'm I'm living at the moment, this is just not, I you know, I went off on the wrong way. I went there. I mean, it's been fine up until now. Yes, I do have children. Yes, I do. Uh, or even I don't have children, but I've got a mortgage, all these kind of things. And I really can't, it's too late for me. I can't make that break now. What would you say to that person? I'll, I'll say it's never too late. I mean, it's, not, it's all cliche stuff, isn't it, really? Because um, I'll say if, if, if you have a real passion for something and a real sense of you want to do something, then you have to somehow find a way of doing it. You really do have to sort of, whether it be an hour a day, a day a week whatever just start small and go just start small start anywhere and see where it takes you um whether it be uh, i if you are you know employed somewhere with, with, with a safe job and you've got kids at home to feed and the mortgage to pay i understand that it's extremely scary and extremely um worrying to do that to start something fresh but on the flip side you know your job might not be secure forever you know, with the way the world is nowadays, you could easily lose a job for no fault of your own through cutbacks and all that kind of stuff. So to be in control of your own destiny and in control of your own happiness, you've got to do it. You have to just do it. Mm -hmm. And it will be tough. And I think people, that's what I think people are scared of, that they're, they're afraid of that, um, what might happen. And the answer to that is you have no idea. You literally have no idea what's going to happen but you're in control of it yourself. So that's the best way, that's the best way of being it, mm. best way of doing it. And I would say to anyone, just whatever you're thinking of next, whatever you want to do, whatever you're planning, um, just take baby steps and start small. Mm. Spend an hour a day, an hour a week, and see where it takes you. Do you think as well, Joe? I mean, I heard something the other day. It was quite interesting the way it was put. I heard that sort of sometimes it sort of can be really daunting to say, well, you know, I quite fancy doing that. I quite fancy doing that. Um, you fancy doing all these different things. But to actually, to be able to move forward as such, you do have to commit to, to one thing. And that, that can be quite, um, I think that can be quite daunting to do that, to say, to almost say like, do you know what? Like, you know, when I actually 
for the I'd been writing my books for 10 years before I put it on I felt oh I felt yeah. sick and you know I did but I have to I put it on Facebook to say look what I've been doing I mean you knew what I'd been doing yeah, but yeah. I felt I mean not many people did and I felt it's so embarrassed because you kind of think you know well who do I think I am I'm a writer you know all these amazing authors why should I be a writer especially one that's been rejected you know 70 odd times but but it's kind of like somebody I heard this put and I thought it was quite a nice thing you know we say we want to travel we want to go on holiday but if you keep saying you want to go on holiday in all the different places all over the world you never decide where you go on holiday you never go on holiday as such and actually it's the same with passions it's all very well oh well I quite fancy that I quite but it does you do have there comes a point where you have to really really be true to yourself and say yeah. do you know what deep down what I really yeah. want to do yeah. is that one like you did yeah. with the when you were you know contemplating the police and it's there's a lot of yeah buts so like we always my, yeah. like the yeah buts but you, it gets to the point you've got to get rid of all of that don't you yeah I, I don't think of, I, I quite fancy this I quite fancy that is a passion that's just like um, that's just a thought sort of thing. I think, like I said, I think I think deep down, if you get it, if you have that passion burning or that real sort of, I want to do this, that is it. You have to go for it. And I think, therefore, whatever happens, you can. Whatever happens, you'll be you'll be happy that you tried it. Yeah, yeah. How, how many people? How many people? Do, every everything. This one is really cliche saying it. How many people say on it on your deathbed? Don't want to look back and regret what you never did, sort of thing. And it is really cliche saying it. And um, it really depends on what kind of person you are, isn't it, as well? Are you happy to go for it? Or do you want to sort of not go for it? And there's no right or wrong. There's literally no, you can't judge anyone for doing what they want to do. That's, that's their, own, their own life and their own sort of how they want to be. But I think um, also, in, I think. This sounds very sort of controversial saying this, but I think in England especially, people are very quick to say, oh, don't try this, or don't try that, or don't do this, or you're happy, you've got a secure job, don't bother trying to change your life, or don't try and open your own business. It's almost seen as like, um, don't do it because you'll fail. Whereas I think other countries around the world almost celebrate sort of people following their dreams and celebrate that a lot more than I think in this country. There's so many times I've been told over my career that, oh, don't do that, don't get too big, don't don't open a second salon or don't employ that, don't employ people, um, because they probably couldn't do it themselves. But that doesn't mean that I couldn't not do it or not try it myself. Mm. In regards to you writing books, I mean, I'm sure people have said, oh, don't do this, don't do that, but actually, it's well, they have. Literally, exactly. like, like exactly. <laughs> this but, is but, rubbish. But if it's something you want to do, you have to just go for it. And what, whatever, what's, what's the worst that can happen? Mm. You're, and also you're enjoying doing it. I think when you, have, when you find your passion or find your purpose, you actually enjoy doing it. Mm. And therefore you don't mind you know, the extra hours. You don't mind all that because you enjoy it. It's not, it's not a job. It becomes part of your life. And therefore it's far easier. Mm-hmm. And that's a lovely way to look at it. And I love that um, in the notes you sent over before we did this interview, and I showed this actually to my husband, I hope you don't mind, but you said right. one of your biggest um, lessons was to trust people. And I think in today's world, 
it, we, you know, we, we get we hear a lot of negativity, don't we, Joe? A lot of the yeah. time, and it's always like you said, it comes from this negative. You might fail, and of course, you have to be realistic. I'm not saying that, but that's. I thought that was a lovely thing that you said that to trust people because it, that's a lovely thing. Look how you've trusted people, yeah. and look where it's got you. More and more, I trusted people. Um, more successful the business has become, and in regards to. You know, people can do great things. They really can. You can do great books, great interviews. Uh, Rob can do great crime documentaries and so on and so on. So you have to trust people that can actually, if that's their skill set, that's what they love doing, let them do it. Trust they'll do a great job. Trust they're going to perform correctly and just believe them. Um, and more and more have done that. Better people have performed in the business and more success they've had. Well, Joe Hemmings, I, you know, I knew you were going to be a good guest. I trusted that you absolutely have been an amazing guest. I will be forever coming to get my hair done and asking you to make me look like Cameron Diaz. <laughs> <laughs> but um, thank, thank you, you, thank you so much for being well, just such a. I've also I've also enjoyed hearing your sort of um, your career develop and hearing your chats about your books and your podcasts. And I'm really impressed with everything you've done, Ellie. It's a very um, you know, you've talked about it for so long. I see you doing it. It's incredible. So well done. Oh, really good. Well, listen, my hair will be very grey by the time we'll be we'll be together for a long time. <laughs> but um, Joe Hemmings, thank you for being such a fabulous guest on the next chapter. Thank you, Ellie. So there you are. What did you think of that? I hope you can see why I find Joe's story so inspiring. I love that. It's never too late. It makes you think, doesn't it? He might never be able to make me look like Cameron Diaz, despite his talents. But I always come away feeling hopeful and inspired by Joe, and I hope you have too. Now, you can find out all about Joe, his team, at blogsalons.co.uk. The link is in the show notes. And, of course, you can keep up to date with me and my books. My next one is just about to come out. That's at elliebarkerwrites.com. This is the last in the series, but the good news, we'll be back in the autumn with some more fabulous guests. Thank you so much to all of the incredible people I've interviewed during this series and the five before. But most of all, thank you to you for listening. I think you're amazing for listening, supporting and sharing. In a world filled with so much choice, I feel, well, I just feel so honoured you've taken the time to listen. So please do keep in touch. I'd love to know all about your next chapters and if there is anyone you'd like me to ask on the show. But also, well, I'd just love to hear from you. But for now, you're listening to the next chapter by Ellie Barker, a flower pot production. Have a wonderful few weeks. Keep thinking, keep pondering. We can help you find your way. Your next chapter is there waiting for you. I believe you can do it. And Joe does too. Speak soon.